there's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> Probably like getting grade 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean... <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club Podcast. My name is Derek Peterson. Joining me this week, once again from quarantine, is Brandon Vogel. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing well. This is, I'm going on about, uh, let's see, seven years of, of social distancing, really, for the most part. Um, so, you know, if, if anybody needs any advice, because what the, what the world needs now is more advice from people on how to handle staying at home but i'm just saying i've got some experience okay what would your your top piece of advice be to somebody on social distancing or staying at home Uh, bake bread um i I know that a lot of people are doing that and there's like a million articles right now about how to how to do sourdough but it doesn't have to be sourdough though that does uh, make things a little bit more fun and interesting and scientific um but I find that to be quite pleasing. I, I, I do it often anyway. I've done it a little bit more often as we've tried to reduce our trips to the grocery store. Um, and it's just a nice thing to do. And, and what smells better than, than baking bread? So that's that's right up there for me. What's hilarious is I saw, um, it was a video, I don't remember where I saw it. It was either Instagram or, or TikTok because I'm a millennial. Um, it was a video that was basically like there are, five different people in everybody's quarantine home and one of them was like the person who's like i'm gonna bake some bread and i laughed because like within 24 hours of seeing that alex had been like i'm gonna make some bread and ordered instant yeast off of amazon yeah which i didn't even know was a thing um so yeah yep yeah it's 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 pretty nice and uh it can be really really simple or or it can be really complicated whichever way you want to go it really encompasses everybody that's the most interesting thing that we've done in quarantine, I would say. Um, so it's a fun time. Like we were talking about before we got on and got on the mic and started recording. I don't have any concept of what day it is, really. So um, this needs to end. We need to get back to some sense of normalcy, but uh, we'll we'll do what we can to make sure that we do it the right way, I suppose. Um, today we're going to talk about football obviously a little bit later uh but i gave you some homework before coming on the podcast i said i want you to come armed and prepared with a list of the top five sports movies all time so like everybody has time now everybody's watching movies everybody's on disney plus or netflix or hulu alex and i started watching ozarks uh which was really good and then i saw a tweet that said like it was from that account, What White People Like, and it said the Ozarks. And I was like, this is targeted advertising. I feel like we need to stop watching now. Um, but movies. I watched Remember the Titans um, recently, and I was like, oh my gosh, I forgot how amazing this movie was. And so I'm curious. Um, and I also saw the other thing that brought this to mind was ESPN had their tweet of like, you can only pick three movies and you have to ditch the rest. And Adrian Martinez actually weighed in on what his three would be. Um, 
I'm going to give you five. You have five. What are your all-time top five favorite sports movies? Or you can take it the other way and say the five best sports movies. It's really up to you. Let's start with number five. We'll go back and forth. Okay. Um, I, I realized in, in doing the assigned homework that, that I'm pretty, well, first I realized that I, I love sports. Like, obviously, I've made it my profession, and it, that's been the case since the, the earliest I can remember. Always been a sports freak. I also really love movies, but I don't like a ton of sports movies. Um, so I'm kind of the worst person to ask here. Um, the, oh. the, the issue for me in, in a lot of cases is so often you lose, I feel like you lose a lot of the movie aspect when you have to make it about sports because sports is something we watch all the time. We know what it's supposed to look like and sound like, and it, it just becomes too easy to get lost in the sportsiness of it, if that makes sense. Um, it doesn't now that I'm saying it out loud, but anyway, um, so with that in mind, so like things like the natural, okay. Ends up on a lot of lists as good. It's just kind of a fairy tale type thing for me, and it, I, it's fine. I don't love it, but so my actual top five. So I'm just putting that out there to let you know that I'm kind of a grouch about these things. Um, so disclaimer. But my number five, Friday Night Lights, the movie. Um, back before, now I had some issues with this because I can't turn my brain off. So I was, I read that Buzz Bissinger book, which was released in in 1988 not long after it was released. Uh, I definitely read it in paperback the first time, but I was, so I was, I was young and that was like a really, really formative book and just a wonderful piece of, you know, sports journalism and journalism in general. I thought the movie held up pretty well. Um, and it kind of dude would not be wearing those Nikes in 1988 and things like that took me out of it. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Overall, it, it was pretty faithful to the story, um, really you know, kind of emotionally resonant and, and totally kind of set the stage for Friday Night Lights, the TV series, which people like much more in terms of the whole look of how that was done, the, the explosions in the sky soundtrack. So Friday Night Lights is my number five. Okay. It's interesting that you, you bring up kind of how you have to shoot a sports movie differently. I'm like... I'm not a good enough writer to be snobby about writing, but I am a writing snob when it comes to like movies and TV shows. Like I don't want to watch lazy writing where you're like, oh, I, I know what's going to happen next. I feel like with sports movies, like it really is an exercise in how to be creative with writing because you have to figure out how to piece together like these moments in whether it be a football game or a basketball game that you like have to show just because it's a sports movie and like you have to have those those elements of it, but you also have to make it, um, I guess, interesting for the eye because, like you said, we have seen these things over and over and over and over and over again. Um, my number five, and I guess I have um, recency bias because several of mine on this list are newer movies, but my number five was The Blind Side. Um, it's lower because... I was a little disappointed after it came out to hear um, that Michael Orr, the person this entire movie is based off of, wasn't happy with his portrayal in the film, um, which is interesting. He like, I don't know if you heard about this, but he was upset with how like aloof they made the character, and he, you know, he thought he was, I guess, smarter than the way they portrayed him in the movie, um, but. 
it still lands on my list because I think it's one of Sandra Bullock's best performances as, as an actress. I actually have not seen The Blind Side to the point where, oh. uh, yeah, so our, our colleague Aaron Sorensen is, is part of The Blind Side Hive. Um, and it's become kind of a running joke between us. I, mean, I see it on TV all the time, and I kind of alert her because mm-hmm. I know that she, she watches it often when it is on TV. Mm-hmm. But I have never actually sat down and, and watched it. I should probably do that. I haven't read the book either, which has been sitting on my shelf for years and years and years. So, and I don't know why. I mean, it's, you know, from Michael Lewis, who is certainly uh, well-established in the uh, journalism realm and sports journalism. So maybe that's, uh, maybe that's one for me here in these uh, socially distant times ahead. Yeah, I would say read the book over watching the movie. I still liked the movie and it's still in my top five because I feel like it has to be, but like read the book. That would yeah. be my quarantine advice. Read. Okay. Good. I, I, I like that recommendation better because that's kind of what I wanted you to say. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> read everything. It doesn't just have to be books. For anybody listening, read whatever you want. Maybe it's a website. Maybe it's a magazine. Who knows? Yeah. What's your number four? Number four, the original Bad News Bears. Not the, the Billy Bob Thornton remake, which was not bad. Uh, but Walter Matthau, just a totally... Uh, a movie that probably doesn't get made today. Uh, it's pretty raw and politically incorrect uh, in, in a lot of ways. But the thing I'm looking for with all of the movies that are on my list, for the most part, uh, minus maybe number three, um, are, are, are movies that, that could exist if they weren't about sports. So this of a guy who's like down on his luck is 100% an alcoholic and kind of scuffling through life um, and finds some redemption through coaching this, this little league baseball team. Um, now that could be, you know, it doesn't have to be a little league baseball team. It could be something totally outside of sports. And I think that's why it works. So bad news bears. The original is my number four. Have you seen it? One time. Yeah. a while ago um so i don't remember pretty much anything about the movie but i have seen it one time and i think i was watching it with like my dad and my grandpa yeah yeah that makes sense i mean it's worth a worth a rewatch um now if nothing else to you uh well it's a good piece of good piece of film but also just uh you'll probably be kind of shocked <laughs> watching it with a fresh set of eyes that Oh, this is what we were doing in the uh, the mid seventies. Uh, this was all uh, above board and on the table to to do. Um, yeah, it's 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 pretty interesting in that regard. Add it to the list. Do you have major league on your list? I don't. That um, it, it that's uh, also receiving votes for me. Okay, okay, and oh, I'm. I have honorable mentions as well. So if you want to go over those when we're done too, we can. That that would be interesting. I have one that that by no means belongs close to a top five sports movie, any list anywhere. Uh, but it's one of my favorite movies all time. So it gets honorable mention. My number four is Miracle, and I don't really have like a, a lengthy explanation for why it's number four. I just think it's really good. I think Kurt Russell was really good. I don't like hockey, but I really enjoyed this movie. And it's not lazy writing, which is good. Yeah, that's one I've seen uh, and, and don't totally remember. Uh, you know, I, I think it I think it functioned pretty well as a sports movie, and then that's kind of one of the challenges I think 
directors and writers have with this is something like that story is is so well known that finding a place to exist within it is, is a pretty big challenge. And I do remember from the the one or two times I think I did watch it saying, okay, yeah, I think they, I think they, I think they did pretty well. Um, they added something to the story we all already know and some great performances in that movie. Yeah, for sure. What's your number three? Uh, my number three, this is my, uh, my guilty pleasure came along at a, a formative time in my life. Uh, hands down the, uh, the movie soundtrack, not just sports movie soundtrack that I've listened to the most uh, above the rim. Have you, <laughs> have you seen this movie about uh, street basketball starring Tupac? No. What? <laughs> it's amazing. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it's about, um, it's about a high, talented high school player who's trying to earn a scholarship to Georgetown and falls in, falls in with the, the quote unquote wrong crowd, uh, which includes Tupac Shakur who, who runs, runs games at a New York city playground with basically a, he's into, he's into some rough stuff and he basically blackmails uh, our main character into playing for him at the the big tournament and and things go from there. Um, Amazing soundtrack. Uh, Warren G's regulate was kind of the signature song from that, but, but the soundtrack itself is uh, top to bottom, really strong. Hmm. There's a basketball movie out there with Tupac, and I didn't even know it existed. I've seen like Love and Basketball. I've seen Hoosiers, obviously. I've seen Glory Road. I didn't know that. Now I'm going to have to watch that movie. Yeah, it's 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 uh, it's fantastic. I wouldn't say it's um, it's good in any sort of artistic way, um, but just just really uh, like I said, I was you know 13, 14 when it came out. It was like the music I was listening to. I was way into sneakers and stuff at the time, and also into Tupac. So it, it checked all the right boxes for me. My number three is a cultural icon. Maybe not so much for older crowds, not calling you older, but older crowds in general. Um, But especially so for me, like this came out when I was a kid. This came out in my formative years, to borrow a phrase you've been using. Um, It's it's culturally relevant. It's been used as a um, as a piece of ammo in one player's (laughs) argument for the greatest basketball player of all time. Um, I see more Toon Squad Jordan jerseys than I do Chicago Bulls Jordan jerseys when we're outside of like the state of Illinois. Um, Space Jam is my number three. It's not like it's not some huge achievement in filmmaking. Um, it's not a spectacular film that's going to hold up against you know other films. But they're making a second one with LeBron James because. Everybody loves Space Jam so much, and the Jordan James argument is so hot that they were like, "Okay, well, maybe this can be the deciding vote." And for that, like, to be a thing is amazing to me. <laughs> Space Jam was incredible. Um, it was just incredible. There's, there's, there's no other way uh, to put it. I watch Space Jam all the time. I have the DVD, even though I don't have a DVD player anymore. I have it, and I pop it into my Xbox 360, which is so old it doesn't even recognize the 5g wi-fi network in my apartment uh but i use that 360 for space jam and ncaa 14 
and it's on its last legs, but it continues to to truck along. But Space Jam is my number three because it's incredible, and I am patiently waiting for Space Jam two with LeBron James, even though it will not be better than the original. Yeah, so I'm trying to remember what year that came out. Was it '96? Somewhere around there. So, I mean, I'm in high school at that point. A, a basketball, a basketball freak, and grew up, you know, as a Jordan fan, like like everybody was, but pretty obsessive about it. So, that movie, even though I was, you know, kind of aging out of the demo for it. Uh, was still pretty important to me. I went with the Daffy Duck uh, Team Squad jersey, champion replica, uh, instead of the Jordan one. So, so that's what I had. I actually sold that on eBay within the past like three or four years for more money than you'd expect. Um, but <laughs> um, it's culturally it, relevant. I'm telling you, it, it is. I mean, well, so you had the biggest star in the world in Michael Jordan and everything that comes in his wake. You know, Nike, Gatorade, the whole thing. You have Looney Tunes, like a massive, massive brand. And you have all of these basketball stars, you know, Charles Barkley, Muggsy Bugs, and somehow Sean Bradley gets the call to be, to be part of the team squad, which is the strangest thing about that movie. It's, it's a little bit, it's like Christian Leitner being on the dream team times 100. <laughs> Sean Bradley, like, yeah, I understand he was tall, but why, why is he here? Um, anyway. That's my stage jam tape. And Bill Murray. And Bill but, Murray. Don't forget Bill Murray. Probably probably wins the movie for me uh, when Bill Murray shows up. That's, that's good. <laughs> we hit your three, right? You're on two? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're, we're going to be on quite the, uh, the basketball swing here because number two for me is, is White Men Can't Jump. Um, another, so this movie is written and directed by, by Ron Shelton, who was a former athlete himself and probably gets kind of the rhythm and pattern of actual sports conversations better than anyone else I've ever seen. Like, it's just, he is the, the person who is doing exactly what I want. He's like, this movie is about sports. It is a quote unquote sports movie. But beyond that, we're just going to, to make a really good film. And he does that here through, of course, we're back to, you know, uh, outdoor basketball, this time not in New York City, like above the rim, but on the opposite coast, uh, Venice Beach. And, uh, of course, you've got great performances from uh, Wesley Snipes and, and Woody Harrelson. And it just really builds this world of kind of down on their luck hustlers who are, who are trying to make a living by by playing playing basketball down at the down at the beach courts and it's 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 a world that i'm always happy to like dip into uh anytime the movie is on tv i'll jump in at any moment and just kind of be there for the rest of it however long that may be so so that's my number two i have never seen that movie oh so which is a problem (laughs) i think i've heard jokes about it and references to it constantly um, especially I played basketball when I was in grade school, but I've never seen the movie. And I feel like, um, I feel like this is a problem. You have two basketball movies in your top five and I haven't seen either one of them. What? I feel like I'm going to lose my, my basketball card. <laughs> no, it's just, I'm old. Um, which you, you kindly said I wasn't, but it's true. I am. Um, and but this is 
It's actually, it's not a problem, Derek. This is a, a great opportunity because somewhere not far behind baking bread, um, another of my recommendations for social distancing and quarantining would be to build double features. Um, and you have one right here now, um, both from the mid to early to mid 90s, uh, both involving street basketball. So you you now have a, a night ahead of you at some point where you're going to watch white men can't jump and above the rim back to back. Super. It will probably be tonight. I have a futon that I need to put together and it'll probably get put together uh, with those two movies playing in the background. There you go. Um, number two for me is Rocky. I can't think of another instance in which a, a fictional character has been so like intertwined within the fabric of our larger sports world. Like people, there are people who think that Rocky was a real life human being who actually was a boxer, who actually did the things that the movie's based on or that the movie portrays. There's a statue of him in Philadelphia. Like I don't, I like, I can't think of another instance in which a movie has had that big of an impact on either a group of people or, um, you know, uh, I guess I guess group of people would be the best way to describe what the sports world is, just group of crazy people. Um, but it's crazy. And they've made how many of them now? Like eight, if you count the Creed series in, in like the greater uh, Rocky catalog. Like they've made so many of them. And I, and I honestly think four is the best one. The which well the the one with the Russian guy. If he dies, he dies. Yes. <laughs> um, I think that's the best one. But this started it all. This has to be on my list. Is Rocky not on your list? We're at your number one. Uh, yeah, Rocky is Rocky's not on my list, and it's, it's Whoa. Kind of, yeah, it's kind of strange that I actually didn't even think of it. And then when you said, I was like, oh yeah, of, of course. Um, I actually like so Rocky's interesting in a couple of fronts to me uh you mentioned the statue that statue used to be right outside the philadelphia museum of art um because those are the steps that were that were used in it but it was just really interesting kind of and sometimes tense juxtaposition of like okay rocky's a fictional character it's a very kind of conventional story but you, you tie in all of like sly stallone's you know his own career as an actor um kind of mirroring that of rocky in terms of he came out of nowhere to, to write that movie and star in that movie. Uh, but yeah, the world of art is, you know, quote unquote, high culture doesn't often associate itself with what some might consider low culture in terms of just a very popular mass audience movie. So it was always interesting that that Rocky statue existed where it did. And then it got moved. Like, it was, and, you know, I think the justification for that was like, yeah, we get it. We get these huge crowds like right outside the art museum, which is cool. Except a lot of them don't come into the art museum. So we're going to move this further away from the front door of the Philadelphia art museum. That's kind of uh, sums up. I think where, where Rocky is for me and that it, it has, it straddles those two worlds, which, which is pretty interesting, but yeah, you can't argue with it. Um, the fact that the movie that was that popular and the, you don't get the the main character, the hero, getting his victory at the end of it all. Uh, certainly subverted some expectations there. So I appreciate that. That was an incredible aside on 
Rocky. Well done. <laughs> Thanks. It was probably probably more than anybody needed, but I, I felt like I had to explain myself at least for for not having it on here. Because you're right, it probably it probably belongs. Um, like I told you, off the top, I'm kind of a grouch about this stuff, so I don't know. What can I say? Okay, we're we're at our number one, and my number one was the easiest one on this list. And you haven't had it on your list yet, which means the only chance that it would be on your list is if your number one was also my number one. So this is about to get interesting. What's your number one? I'm going to guess we don't overlap on this one. My number one is Bull Durham. Um, another movie from, from Ron Shelton. I know uh, Bill Simmons, who uh, traffics in, <laughs> in sports, who's kind of the guy who, who started, you know, a cultural appreciation on a mass scale of, of sports movies. Um, he doesn't consider this a sports movie which is probably why it's my number one. Yes, it's mostly a love story. But again, a lot like White Men Can't Jump, um, Ron Shelton again kind of builds this incredible world. Um, You really get a sense of what it's like in a town like Durham, North Carolina. That's all about minor league baseball. Um, And it's it's a fascinating look. Crash Davis, played by Kevin Costner, is one of the the greatest sports movie characters ever. Uh, yeah, Duke Lelouch, uh, as, as the crazy one wonder kid, uh, pitcher, um, there's, there's so much there and, um, it's, yeah, that was, it was an easy number one for me. I'm going to guess it wasn't your number one. No, man, man, (laughs) your list is like high end. You've thought this through very, very intelligent filmmaking. And my list is like, a freaking cartoon bunny running around with Michael Jordan playing basketball. <laughs> well, see, this that's, is, uh, that's what I was trying to prepare you for. And I, I, it doesn't make my list better. In fact, it probably makes it much less relatable because I don't have Rocky in my top five. So anyway, uh, let's go to, you your don't have, remember the Titans in your top five either. No, that, I, I saw Come that. On. I saw that when it came out and, um, I honestly don't remember a ton of it. And uh, like my, my, I've had more experience with that movie and seeing people reference it um, and, and talk about it than I have actually probably time watching. So there, there, I don't, uh, that movie came out in 2000, maybe. Yeah. Like it there. came out when I was a child and not, not, I guess, aware enough to want to see it or understand some of the, the undertones that were kind of running throughout the movie. And it's still easily my my favorite sports movie ever. When Will Patton gives his his impassioned midfield speech um, after his character yells at the ref, it's one of my favorite monologues in a movie. Uh, when Gary Bertier is like doing his captain thing and then gets completely put on his ass, it's one of my favorite scenes in a movie. Um, God, there's... It's just littered with so many amazing moments and really small pieces. It's just like I could watch it over and over and over and over again and not get tired of it. I think Denzel Washington is incredible when they run through the forest at night and he gives that kind of monologue on the Gettysburg, um, the Battle of Gettysburg. It was gave me goosebumps. So I'm curious then what was on your... Um, 
your kind of receiving votes or your honorable honorable mention category. Did you have Rudy? I didn't, obviously. I, I, I did not have Rudy. Um, honorable mention. I didn't prepare this, so I'll do this off the top of my head. Uh, Major League, as you mentioned, is is in there. Um, gosh, I, just, I had some others that occurred to me as we were talking. Um, victory. Have you ever seen Victory? Uh-huh. <laughs> the only soccer movie on the list uh, where Sylvester Stallone uh, is in a in a prison camp, they have to uh, defeat the Germans. Sylvester Stallone plays uh, plays plays goalkeeper, uh, which is pretty entertaining. Uh, so you might you might want to check that out as a as a soccer fan. Um, gosh, what else? Rocky probably makes it, but I'd probably go with three or four for honorable mention. At that point, they basically become genre films, which which I kind of like. Yeah. Um, and it's just like pure, like yeah, we're done with the the hero underdog story. It's just pure entertainment at that point. So probably would go with four. Um, it's it's tough to top that one. Yeah, uh, Rudy. I see so many people who love Rudy, and it just doesn't do it for me. It's not. It's like the moment at the end isn't isn't. There's not enough payoff for me to really get invested in the movie, and I just I don't know. It feels too 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 cliched, maybe. Um, I have two movies that I like are guilty pleasures for me. They're recent sports movies. They're not kind of, um, you know, they're not major achievements in film. I, I, Glory Road is one of my, um, guilty pleasure movies, period. Not just sports movies. It's, I think the the story on Don Haskins, Texas Western Miners is great. Um, it's really entertaining. And then Gridiron Gang with The Rock, um, (laughs) was exciting and entertaining and then i read a a review of dodgeball that called it low rent and aggressively dumb and that's what makes it work and 100 percent agree dodgeball is awesome it's not great yeah. but it's awesome <laughs> yeah i wouldn't I, I wouldn't have thought of that one as a sports movie but i think it technically qualifies and, and that is an apt description of that movie and it is why it works um I, I i accept everything you just said there about dodgeball wholesale it was great. Nobody makes me bleed my own blood. <laughs> All time ends to their life. Yeah. Do you want to talk some Husker football? Yeah, I suppose we should. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the the other piece of homework that I gave you was you could construct a group, ho- however big or however small you wanted it to be, what of players who were impacted the most by these lost spring practices. Um, I I think, you know, Nebraska in particular could either be helped in the sense that maybe there's more of a level playing field with them and everybody else that they're about to play. Should there be a season? I guess I'm going to have to keep um, putting that as an asterisk at the end of every football conversation we have. Um, Or they're going to be really hurt in the sense that they're trying to close the gap on people and missing out on practices when you have a really young team is really not the way to do that. Um, so I think that that could spawn off this interesting discussion of who, who do you think has been hurt the most on Nebraska's team by those missed practices? I think they got two of 15 in or, or whatever the number was like they missed a ton and, and it doesn't look like they're going to be able to make those back. Um, and, it, and it, if they have like a fall camp or, or off season workouts, or it's going to be on a condensed schedule, um, did you go position group? Like, who who do you think 
has been hurt the most by this? Uh, I was I was thinking position group though. If you want to go sort of alternating, name a guy, uh, name an individual. I could go that route too. Which do you prefer? I don't have individuals. I was thinking position group as well. Okay. Yeah. So my position group, the first one that came to mind for me was um, uh, defensive line. You've got you got Ben Stilley there, sort of a, a veteran presence and, and leader. Um, great story by by Jacob Padilla this week about kind of his role and, and how that takes, uh, you know, you hone the focus a little bit specifically because they're not having practice uh, on the website this week. But you look at the guys kind of behind him that, that could have used this time guys like team green uh, who, who got a little bit of time. Didn't see him a ton. Deandre Thomas, uh, Damian Daniels. Those are some of the upperclassmen. And then you start talking about Tate Willeman, Casey Rogers, Ty Robinson, Messiah Newsom, guys like that. There's there's a lot of youth up there that, that really could have used some reps, and not just reps, but reps against a, an offensive line that's basically back intact and provides you a pretty good look day in and day out if you can have those practices. So that was my thing. It, I thought about the defensive line too. It seems like there are two conflicting schools of thought when it comes to this year's version of the defensive line. One is that they have all of these pieces and all of these guys that have potential. You have Ben Stilley, who everybody has been waiting for, you know, two or three years to really have that breakout moment. Maybe it's this year. You have Ty Robinson. You have a guy like DeAndre Thomas, who's kind of been waiting in the wings the last couple of years. You have some of the younger guys like Casey Rogers and Tate Wildeman, and you have King Green. You like you have all these pieces, and it's just people wondering can Tony Tuioti put them together and kind of get what they got last year and 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 then you have the other side that I think it sounds like maybe you are on in the sense of yeah you have all these pieces but none of them are proven you know Ben Silly obviously the the flip side of that coin is well he hasn't had that breakout year um you know with a guy like Ty Robinson it's he hasn't done it at this level yet like he played sparingly a year ago now we're going to ask him to have this big role on the defense, is he ready for that? For a guy like DeAndre Thomas, maybe same thing as, as Ben Stilley. He, he hasn't done it yet. He hasn't shown it yet. And then you've got younger pieces behind him and a guy like King Green who also hasn't done it yet. So I think that defensive line, is. where do you fall? Are you, are you more on the optimistic side of things or do you think that that one's really going to be a wait and see until they get on the field against a Big Ten team? I mean, I think there's, there's just probably enough there to be cautiously optimistic. But if you're just like, okay, what can you say we know about Nebraska's defensive line right now? Ben Stilley is kind of the only known for me. Like we've seen, you know, DeAndre Thomas as, as a true freshman, you know, sh- showed some promise and then took a redshirt year, which probably was a good decision on his part. Um, and we'll see where it'll, it'll almost be like getting him back two years later. Uh, same with Damian Daniels. We've see, seen some flashes. Uh, the question with him has been, and, you know, coach has been pretty open about this, is like, can he can he be out there for 60 snaps a game? Um, and then beyond that, you know, you're looking at youth. You're looking at uh, some junior college guys and guys that you're just kind of waiting to, to show up and say, okay, now I know that player is pretty much an every down player in the Big Ten. The only person truly, truly know that about right now is Ben Stilling. Does this prolonged absence from football activities or the the complete absence of spring ball for some of the guys who wanted to use it as a springboard, does it maybe open the door for a guy like Nash Hutmacher to come in and play right away? 
I think it could. Um, in a lot of ways, it, it levels the, the playing field in, in that regard. So, so the veterans will have the experience of kind of already having worked directly with Nebraska's strength and conditioning staff. And I'm sure all the players got sort of the same breakdown, like, Hey, here's, here's what you need to be doing from home. You know, it's, you know, there's some challenges, but this is the expectation. But once you get out of kind of the the controlled setting of having spring ball, it's really up to kind of individual motivation to get that stuff done. And, And coaches across the country are, are talking about that. So I think assuming that, teams are able to get back together and there's there's going to be a season to get ready for and that's going to happen hopefully at some point in the summer uh, might be late but hopefully at some point in the summer I think you're going to walk into that just kind of there's going to be a huge kind of discovery process just for like okay we know where some of these guys left some of them are showing up for the first time where's everybody at what can they do what are they ready to handle right away uh, so for a guy who's at home and a guy like Nash Hutmacher, who's, you know, pretty fond of workouts based on all of his, his social media feeds anyway, that's somebody who we know the talent level was high. And, and I think he could come out of this pretty good because he was just kind of one of those, those, you know, weight room warrior type of guys anyway. And a person like that's mm-hmm. going to do pretty well when left to their own devices. Mm-hmm. Top down, big picture kind of view. Nebraska's not winning anything of substance or really it's going to be a struggle to get to a bowl game until they can start stopping the run more consistently. Does this defensive front seven, as you look at it on paper, does it have the goods to be better as a run stopping unit than it has been over the last couple of years? And has this um, blip in football changed your thinking at all on that? Um, no, I think it's still, like you said, really the central question to succeeding, not just for Nebraska, but, but really for succeeding in the big 10, like you're going to have to be able to hold up there. Um, it may not be, you know, you don't have to be Michigan state necessarily, though it worked great for, for the Spartans when they were, you know, contending and making in one case, the, the college football playoff, like that's what, that's what Michigan state did. They stopped the run and it was what you knew about them. And you could count on it year in and year out. I, I think Nebraska, if the offense, you know, kind of progresses towards closer towards what we think it can be under Scott Frost, Nebraska doesn't have to be that, but you, you've got to be able to to stop teams on the ground. And my prospects for this year, I, I think Nebraska could be could end up being better off at linebacker. I don't know if you'd say that, you know, at opening kickoff, but by the time the season is over. I think there's a chance for some guys there to emerge. It's tough when you look at the defensive linemen that they lose that they lost from 2019, however, and and say, okay, yeah, this year's group can provide similar production um, and serve a similar function as well in this defense as last year's group did. Maybe they can. It's just I, I can't say that with certainty based on just the amount of newness they have coming back up there. Every time I hear like mention of Michigan state making the playoff, whether it be in passing or, or in, like I'm a, reading a something or seeing it on Twitter, like every single time I'd laugh. If you were to take somebody who didn't follow college football or maybe only started following it the last couple of years and said, Michigan state made the college football playoff. They would, they would laugh. They would think you were joking. 
Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Um, I have a, a similar response. You know, a couple months ago, I went back and looked at, pulled all the stats, like the stats that I tend to, to favor and look at, um, to see like, okay, so what's the profile of a playoff team? And in almost every case, except for some of the defensive categories, but even some of those, like, you're like, okay, here's the Alabama and Clemson, and, you know, they're towards the top, and Ohio State's not far behind. But all these teams kind of do – the same thing about as well, except for Michigan State. Like their offense was nowhere near any of the like remaining playoff teams that have made it. Um, defensively, they could hang in there. But when you just look at all of the teams that have made it so far on one big list and say which one of these doesn't belong, um, well, Michigan stands out in, in neon green. Yeah, it's like Washington is in there as an outlier, but not to the degree that Michigan State is. Like, because I remember going through and looking at um, recruiting related numbers, recruiting rankings, and, and class sizes and things like that as it related to the, to the playoff teams. And like, Washington was that. They were an outlier in the sense that, you know, you've got Clemson and Ohio State and Alabama being top five every single year but Michigan State w wasn't even close to any of them they were like m middle of the country like in the 60s 50s and 60s re in recruiting rankings and for them to be in the playoffs that year like legitimately you could tell somebody and they would just laugh in your face and be like that's not true that's not real <laughs> and then you say no no it's real but they got shut out by Alabama then they would just nod their head and be like yeah that makes sense yep <laughs> yeah um we didn't get to your position group yet. Which one uh, do you think is the most hurt by not being able so to I think, this thing? I think wideouts, kind of for the same reason yeah. um, that we've already talked about. Like, I think, you know, you were just with the, the way that this was kind of laying itself out. They had four scholarship wide receivers in the spring. Um, correct me if that number is wrong. Yeah, no, One I of them was Wando Robinson. Yeah. Okay, okay. One of them was Wando Robinson. Wandale Robinson, excuse me. And then you had Alante Brown as a true freshman. You had Jamie Nance, and you had Demarion Houston as, as two redshirt freshmen who didn't play a year ago. Jamie got in one game, but for all intents and purposes, didn't play. Um, those were the guys that you were going to rely on. And, you know, walk-ons were going to get their shot. They're going to get their, you know, their reps in practice. Um, but one of those three non-Wandale guys was either going to take a step and become um, – not somebody that they could rely on, but somebody that could potentially be a piece of the rotation when it comes to playing time. Um, now you don't have that. And now, you know, not only is the playing field leveled for a guy like maybe Marcus Fleming coming in later, um, because, you know, Alante was an early enrollee, but the whole point of being an early enrollee is you can get those practices. Like I know, figuring out your school schedule and how to balance classes and things like that is a, a huge benefit for early enrollees. But at the same time, classes aren't in person right now. They're all online. So he's not having to deal with that time management piece of it yet anyway. Um, but for a guy like Marcus Fleming, like maybe he can come in and do some of the same things that Alante Brown would do. The The big piece of it for me is now you look at Omar Manning and Xavier Betts and you say like, Omar Manning has to come in and be what they expect him to be right away. Like you haven't had these spring practices for quarterbacks to work with wide receivers. You haven't been able to, to put Adrian Martinez on the field with Wandale Robinson in his usual slot or duck R or whatever you want to call the Husker 
variation of that with Jamie Nance on one side and Demarion Houston on the other side, or maybe it's Cade Warner or, or kind of whatever combination you want, and say, you have to throw one of these guys the ball. You can't throw it to, to J.D. Spielman. Or, you know, I guess you could um, include tight ends in this category. But, like, you haven't been able to say, to, to force chemistry between quarterback and some of these wide receivers that are probably going to have to be pieces. Now, you know, you're bringing in Omar Manning and you're bringing in Xavier Betts in the offseason. And, and it's basically like, all right, these guys have to be it because the other guys didn't get the work that they needed to get beforehand to try to come to the level that we needed them to get to. So now Omar Manning has to be, you know, Frost called him an NFL-ready body, and Frost said that he has NFL potential. It's just their job to get him there. He kind of has to be ready-made to be that player whenever he steps on campus. Otherwise, there's going to be maybe hiccups to begin the season. There's going to be chemistry issues between quarterback and pass catchers to begin the season. Maybe Like, I think, like, they needed more than just one person and and offense is going to drive this thing. So I like not to say that the defensive line isn't important, but I think like them being able to develop a consistent passing game that like felt cohesive to everyone involved was really really important because if it's going to work, it's going to have to work on the offensive side of the ball. And for them to not have such a crucial um time to kind of develop those wide receivers and develop that chemistry between quarterback and pass catcher, I think it's really going to potentially be an issue whenever we get into you know the non-conference i think you're gonna see like guy runs a wrong route that adrian thinks he's going one way and he goes a different way and throws an errant pass like i think that that's potentially a byproduct of this right oh yeah i i would agree when i was thinking about this wide receivers was probably my my second choice for for all of the reasons that you just adequately um just described um you know it, it puts everybody back to sort of go minus Wondell Robinson. You know, you look at someone like Jamie Nance and Demary Houston, this was really a chance for them to kind of slot themselves and like, okay, we know those two guys are ready to do this. And then when you bring in guys like Omar Manning, Xavier Betts and others, like even if you expect them to have a real chance to play, you at least know where those other guys are. And, and now in Alante Brown, same way, you know, everyone's basically in the same group minus minus Wanda Robinson uh, kind of like a defensive line he's the one guy you can like put off to the side and be like okay we know what we've got there um Jay Spielman should he return would, would be another one but continuity in the passing game and this is you know Bill Connolly has added a lot to college football discussion and understanding through his statistical work but one of the biggest ones for me one that kind of like totally changed my outlook on how you look at teams is just pointing out how much continuity, the, the word that you use, matters uh, when you look at returning production. Like, it's, it's good to have a high number, and, and Nebraska does, as we've discussed previously. That's why they show up in, you know, in or near the top 25 for, for some of these early models. Um, but if they don't have Spielman, that takes a big hit. And, and you look at, okay, returning production is good. Returning continuity in the passing game matters even a little bit more than that. Um, you're, you're taking a hit at, at the, really the most important spot. Um, and that's tough for a program that under this staff is built, like you mentioned, to kind of for offense to be its best foot forward. And 
you're right. I think I think it probably probably has an even bigger impact on Nebraska as a whole than than defensive line development does. It'll be really interesting to see. You know, I, I keep saying this, but it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens with Wando Robinson's role. Um, Greg Smith asked him at that 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 lone press conference that everybody got on like March 9th, kind of what he was expecting his role to be. And Wandale said more wide receiver and, and less in the backfield, which will be great. But I guess, you know, like if they don't get that second running back that they really feel comfortable with behind Dedrick Mills, or even if they don't feel comfortable with Dedrick Mills for whatever reason, Wandale could, could wind up back in the backfield and then you have uh, nobody that you can really kind of say yeah that guy's fine we don't have to worry about that guy at wide receiver um i i don't think that he'll play more in the backfield or even equal to what he played last year in the backfield because of that fact but um he is a dynamic player with the ball in his hands and so i mean ideally as quickly as you can get the ball into his hands after it's snapped the better um so his usage i think will be I think will be a storyline in, in fall if he plays more in the backfield or if they can find somebody, be it like Ramir Johnson or Marvin Scott, to really be that that confident number two behind Dedrick Bills, um, then that kind of softens what you would expect from the wide receivers. Is, is Xavier Betts on your radar, Brandon, as a guy who plays right away or, or maybe like works his way into the fold as the season progresses? Oh, I, I think I think he plays right away. Um, you know, as you asterisk um, with all of the assumptions that it requires um, on, on multiple fronts. But yeah, I, I think he I think he plays. I, I would be very surprised um, to see a red shirt for him. I, I think he was both in terms of body type, but also just readiness. Like I think Nebraska could have used him last year, honestly, while he was still a high school senior. Um, so uh, he's a guy that I kind of look at, and you know, he may not be a day one starter. He may not be one of the first three running back wide receivers out there, um, but he's definitely going to play in my mind. I guess this next question is a testament to like the interconnectedness that somebody like Mario Verduzco talked about a lot last year. But the wide receivers kind of being a setback also impacts, um, you know, like we said, the running game with with Wanda Robinson's role there but also the quarterbacks and and the sense of like how comfortable is adrian martinez or whoever it may be if you don't believe it'll be adrian i do but whatever um how comfortable he is throwing the ball to receiver x y and z um do you think that this this hurts adrian not not being able to have those spring practices to work with some of the new guys even if those guys weren't going to be like the regular pieces on game day yeah i do i it definitely doesn't help i mean and this was already sort of a struggle i think that we saw last year um in that nebraska clearly wanted to get the ball to wanda robinson a lot um and i agree with you i think i mean he had one of the highest usage rates of any player in the country much less just a true freshman um so the more nebraska i think can define his role the better that is for him but back to adrian you know i think we saw a little bit last year that there was clearly trust there with J.D. Spielman. Um, so it was a little bit of when in doubt, find J.D. Um, and that's easy to game plan for uh, in, in some regards. So that's a problem. I mean, you just look at it from the pure, like, 
nuts and bolts perspective, who is Adrian Martinez throwing to right now? Like we know he's still in Nebraska um, and on campus, and but we know that Kate Warner, at least last I saw based on social media, is back home. Wanda Robinson's back home. Um, so like, who's around? Even if you want to say, yeah, let's go, let's go get some throws in. We both feel like this is okay and safe thing to do. We'll go outside and do it. You know, all the things we have to talk about and consider right now. It's, it's kind of like, who is that guy? And nobody knows. I mean, there's just so much uncertainty now that it kind of touches on, on every single piece of this, no matter how big or how small. The first 30 minutes of this was uh, movie talk fun. Let's talk about our favorite movies in the second half is Nebraska sucks. And here's why. Do you, do you have, do you have positive thoughts on this and, and Nebraska moving towards uh, hopefully playing? Yeah, I mean, so if we're if we're gonna proceed as, as as though there will be a season, and that's that's what I'm choosing to do until we know for sure that there's not, and that decision's not going to come quickly. Like, this is going to be tough on on all teams across the country. I think Nebraska is in, in a relatively good spot because of the experience at return on offense. So so that should help it. You know, we talked about where that does and doesn't apply a little bit here, but overall, there there's still you know, number two offensively in returning production. That's before Spielman, you know, took his leave. Um, but that's that's a good place to start. And what I think is going to happen uh, with not having spring practices and not knowing when players are going to be able to come back and what sort of run-up they're going to have to the season, I expect 2020 to be a really, really noisy year. And I think that's okay for Nebraska. It's not like Nebraska is – it's not Ohio State at this point where it's like, oh, yeah, you know, if the routine stays the same, then Nebraska stays the same. And it's you just lock it in top five and it's, it's good. Um, Nebraska still had a lot of things to figure out. So adding this on top of it um, doesn't feel as costly as it would for a program that's well established and just coming right along. If that makes sense. Yeah, oh, that's one of the things that I keep making sure to tell myself when I think about like, oh, this this potentially hurts Nebraska, or this when I think about the team is that other teams have problems too. Everybody else in the Big Ten, minus Ohio State, has problems too that they're going to have to deal with, and, and not having this time to be able to come together as a team is going to impact their ability to solve those problems. So it's not just Nebraska that has issues that, that Nebraska is going to have to work through. Um, I completely agree with you that you know this is going to be um, a hard-to-predict season so yeah yeah there, there will be a team like six years down the road after the fact we'll be able to look at it and be like man that team x was sitting pretty uh everything was going right full of promise and for whatever reason like this disruption totally flipped the switch and it turned it in a different direction i don't know what team that will be but that'll happen to some team out there um so those are things you kind of have to kind of think about uh, in a time like this yeah, maybe this is another one of those come out of nowhere Michigan State playoff seasons. Not not Michigan State specifically, but some team has that kind of year. Like how you look at it five years down the road, how the hell did that team make the playoffs? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that is uh, the potential for that is greater in a year like this one than, than it is in a normal normal year where uh, kind of the usual suspects always congregate around the the final playoff rankings. Well, Brandon, you got work to do. Uh, Go read The Blind Side. Thank you for joining the podcast. Thank you. We'll be back next week with another podcast. In the meantime, keep reading HaleVarsity.com. Remember, right now, until June 1st, 
you can read Hale Varsity Premium for free. You can get a subscription and your first payment won't come until June 1st. That will include the 2020 Hale Varsity yearbook, which you want to get. Keep reading Hale Varsity. Subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And we'll be back next week. Thanks, guys.